Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to uh, camp out there this morning. Uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. I want to say thank you to uh, Pastor Tim and to your church uh, for the invitation to be with you guys this morning. Um, I, I'm honored to be with a great church um, here in Florida Baptist Life. We, as kind of a denomination and who we are, we are not a top-down organization. We uh, really, the power belongs in the local church church the that's where we take our uh lead from you guys set the tone and so i'm thankful for your pastor and for your heart for not just ministry here um here out on perdido key the westernmost church and all of florida baptist life but also uh to the ends of the earth um so thank you for uh, your commitment to the gospel um and having a mission-minded focus a missional focus on a daily basis i want to thank john and the team uh man pastor john and the, and the student ministry volunteers the host homes and all that and the churches that we were able to work with this past week for this weekend for the Disciple Now weekend. I love the, the focus. I'm encouraged uh, by the example that you set to reach the next generation. Um, there, there's an estimated around 75% of those who trust in Christ do so before the age of 18. If you trusted in Christ before 18, will you raise your hand for me? Yeah, just look around the room. See, the statistics hold so you can lower your hand. So what a great opportunity to invest in, in at a time when they're forming their beliefs and their values and their systems to be able to, as a church, do what we're called to do in Deuteronomy 6 and, and that's train up the children the way they should go. So, man, thank you as a church uh, for saying, hey, we're, we know that we exist for the next generation to take over. Um, so thank you for that. What a great opportunity uh, to be with you guys. So thank you uh, for uh, not getting up and leaving when your pastor is here and not preaching. So anyway, we're going to look at this, this word, this, this big picture here at the beginning of Colossae. Paul wrote a letter in, in 13 of the 27, what we call books in the New Testament, were written by a guy named Paul. And he wrote them to, as letter formats. And he wrote to a church in the area of Colossae. And, and as he's writing this, he's more than likely, the belief is that there's a lot of proof there that he was in prison when he wrote this letter. When he wrote a letter to a group of people and he, he heard some powerful things about this group. He heard some, some powerful things about this church. And as we read this, just kind of reflect to yourself, would people say the same thing about you? Would people say the same thing that Paul is saying about this church? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first six verses of what we call is a book, but is a letter written to a church in the area of Colossae. So uh, we're going to be in verse 1. You guys stood. Would you, would you mind, if you're physically willing and able, you stand with me as we read God's Word today? <clears throat> it says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We love you. I pray that you'll be with my words. Let them be honoring and pleasing to you. And I pray for those hearing my words that they would be open and receptive to your truth. Lord, we thank you for the great message here that's found in these words. The hope this church had in your son, Jesus Christ. 
Let us apply that to our life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want us to look at this word, this, this concept of hope. And it's used several times in this passage, and we're going to kind of look at it from a few different angles. But if I were to ask you and we were to evaluate what the hope is in our life, we could see that our hopes change a lot based on our circumstances, or our hopes change based on our season of life. Right? When you're a young person, there's this different type, you, you have a hope for certain things. You know, right? My, I've got a sixth grade daughter, she's hoping that we get her a cell phone. All of her friends have one. I can just give their parents a few bucks each month, right? She can just text us from from their kids' phones, right? So over here, we have a group of young people. They're hoping that they don't have as much homework as they thought, and they can take a nap this afternoon. Right? Some of the adult leaders were hoping that they, the middle school boys wouldn't use Axe body spray as a shower. Hope. Right? As we get older, we, we hope for different things. Like, you know, you finish college or you enter the workforce, you hope for a good job and, you know, insurance matters and all these types of things. You hope you meet the right person and you have a house, a blue door, 2.06 kids and a dog. Right? I mean, there's different types of hopes. As we get older, as we enter a different season of life, we hope that we have taken the advice of what they told us when we're 24 and we're starting work and we've actually put money away for retirement and we have enough to live on and so we can travel or do whatever. But we have different hopes and, and, and seasonal and circumstances sometimes change our hopes. But I love this concept, this early church here in, in Colossae, their hope was not in circumstances, their hope was not in different seasons. Paul is writing, and he's very clear, that their hope was in the gospel. So if you want to write this down, you want to follow along with us, and I believe we forget 85% of the things we don't write down, but the first thing that we see from the church in Colossae is this. Their hope was in the gospel. As we look and we can just kind of walk through in verses 5 and 6, Paul's writing this letter and he says, Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, we're going to look at that in a minute, you've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. The gospel that has come to you. I grew up in church all my life. Grandfather was the pastor and we had no choice but to go to church. My grandmother would make a Sunday meal, and I was telling this to the students. This just kind of defined my time as a kid. And my grandmother would make a Sunday lunch, and my grandfather was the pastor, and my mom didn't like the guilt trip of showing up for the free lunch, but not going to hear her daddy preach. The good thing is, Pastor Tim, he couldn't, good or bad, he couldn't preach long because Mamaw, my grandmother, we called her Mamaw, don't make fun of us, um, she would cook this, you know, like a, something in the oven, or, and we couldn't burn the meat. So by 12 o'clock, she was done. The good thing is, we don't have to worry about the day. We, Pastor Tim, you preach as long as you want, because you know there's restaurants and stuff, right? But back then, we didn't have it, so we would always go to church. And I will never forget, I came to know Christ at First Baptist Church in Haines City. And we were a good church. And I was excited because I came to know Christ. I gave my life to Jesus. I got baptized. They gave me a Bible. Um, I, you know, I still have that Bible to this day. And, and I came to know Jesus. And my church did what a good church does. You're baptized in the membership of the church. Right? Make your profession of faith. Baptized into the membership. And every member got something. Age of eight. I'm pumped because I got mail. Right? 
I mean, you know, I mean, eight years old, I finally got a box of something addressed to me. And I'd have been mad if my mom would have opened it. But it was still addressed to me. And I opened this piece of mail. And I was jacked up, man. I was so excited. And, and if you've seen this before, you know, I, I mean, just, just if you've never seen this before, you can figure this out. But I got mail to me from my home church at the age of eight. A year's worth of tithing envelopes. <laughs> Come on now, right? Yeah. We were just good Baptists. And, and those tithing envelopes defined the gospel for me. Now, now you may be wondering, wow, well, this is old school, right? It, and I, I preach at a church that still use this, and if you do, that's awesome. But on the front of the envelope, there was a checklist. And I have OCD tendencies. Totally okay with that. It was perfect for this eight-year-old brain. On the front of this envelope, it said, it had boxes. I'm eight years old. Every Sunday. Present. Check. Bible brought. Check. Bible read daily. Well, we didn't have the F-260, so not always, right? Lesson studied. Just came from Sunday school. Check. Giving. Mom, give me two quarters. Check. Worship attendance. How do you think this is going in the offering plate? Check. Then it had this box, man. Prospects, members total, visits, phone calls, letters and cards, and total contacts. And man, I just, I, I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like sitting there in, in church, and I'm getting ready to place an plate, and I'm like, man, who did I talk to on the playground that week? You know what I'm saying? Who was mean to me while we're, you know, playing tetherball? They, there's a prospect. You know what I'm saying? And I'm writing it down, and I love it. But here's what I want to tell you. At the age of 8, 9, and 10, I thought the gospel was in what I could do and what I was supposed to do for a checklist. That was the gospel for me. The gospel is not in anything that you can do. The gospel is according to, to God's word, according to what even Paul is writing about this church here in Colossae. The gospel was not in what the church people could do. The gospel was in what Jesus has done. See, the beauty of the, the picture of the story of God is that while He created a perfect place, and it was perfect, we can see in what we know is 66 books of the Bible, the first two ver chapters of the first book all was great. But in the third chapter, people came into play in sin and disobedience into the world. And because of that, apart from Jesus, there is a brokenness that we face with God. But in God's most amazing act of redemptive love, that we were singing about it. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He lived a sinless life and died a criminal's death for you and for me. And when we repent and believe in Him, we will be saved. That is the gospel. Not in anything that... I could do or anything that you could do, the gospel is in what Jesus Christ has done for you. But we, we get so caught up and we, we, we distort it a little bit. And I think we have to as believers, and, and you know, I've been a believer for, for quite some time, I have to continually rehearse the gospel to myself. There's a great little book, it's about 85 pages, called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. And he defines the gospel this way. He says this, The gospel is that Christ has suffered the full wrath of God for my sin. Jesus Christ traded places with me, living the perfect life I should have lived, and dying the death I've been condemned to die. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he actually became my sin so that I could literally become his righteousness. St. Athanasius called this the great exchange. He took my record, died for it, and offers me his perfect record. He took my shameful nakedness to clothe me with his righteousness. When I receive that grace and repentance and faith, full acceptance becomes mine. He lived in my place and died in my place. And it offered to me a gift called the gift of righteousness. That's the gospel. It's a gift to us. And it's a personal surrender on our life to surrender our life to Jesus. But see, just like, man, some of us, we leave here and, 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 and man, quickly we walk away from the truth of the gospel. Paul, I mean, maybe there's some encouragement here. We're not the first generation to do this. Paul was writing a letter to the church in Galatia. The church is there in that region, and he said this. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ, the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Listen to what he says. Which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. We have the same problem. We quickly walk away. Maybe we're really good on Sunday morning of trusting and having our hope in Jesus. But the challenge comes on Monday and on Tuesday and on Thursday and, and, and as we move out into the workforce and in the mission field. Do we live our life to where our hope is in the gospel? And it's not just, and I, I mean, I'm not saying the world isn't trying to compete against this. The world is. The world's not, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a surprise to me that the world teaches a message contrary to Jesus, right? But it's not always just other people sending the message. The reason we get away from the hope in the gospel, it comes down to making sure that as believers, that we have the gospel grounded in our life. What a great focus, man, being in a discipleship group, reading the Bible, studying God's Word together, holding each other accountable to make sure that our hope is in the gospel. You see, when our hope's in the gospel, a few things happen. We can see a few things kind of flesh out. We do see the gospel as a gift of righteousness. And we see the gospel as a gift that Jesus loves us and gave His life for us. We are changed without command. I mean, when our hope is in the gospel, we are changed without command. Uh, Tim said, I've been in student ministry a long time, and I have. And I would, I, I, would, uh, I would love it if I could, you know, have it recorded, or I would have checked a box, or if I could have, you know, uh, man, maybe have a, have a nickel for every time a parent wanted me to teach a kid something, right? And, and parents, you know what I'm talking about. Like, uh, maybe you've experienced this, man, if, man, Billy, I need you to teach my kid um, why they need to do good in school. I need you to teach my kid of, of principles of purity and dating. I need you to teach my kid, you know, to make their bed. I need you to ki- teach my kid, you know, about this. And, and I just wanted to look at them in, in a loving way. And maybe as I've gotten older and lost hair, I just kind of got a little more brave. But I just want to look at them and say, let's get Jesus right first. Because if we get Jesus right... Even at a young age or an old age, whatever we are, we are changed without command. There's an intrinsic change that affects our external behaviors. See, when our hope's in the gospel, we see that, that anything this world has pales in comparison to what God has for us. When our hope's in the gospel, we begin to have gospel-centered relationships. We meet people, we engage with people for the intentional purpose to share Jesus with them. When our hope is in the gospel, we start to have extravagant generosity, not just with our resources, but with our time and with our life. Our life is a generosity gift for the gospel. When our hope is in the gospel, we are urgent for the mission of Christ. 
So the early church, this church here in Colossae, Paul was writing and he says, Hey, we've heard of you. We've heard of your life. We've heard of your faith. Because of the first thing we can see is your hope is in the gospel. And see, when our hope's in the gospel, we can see the second thing that happens. Our hope, as this church here, their hope is reserved in heaven. Now, I love this concept, right? He's walking through this and he says, hey, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what would they say if someone wrote a letter about you? What would they say about you? Here's what it says. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Right? What did Jesus say? Don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. Right? I'm not opposed to the things of this world. There are things that, I mean, there are good things in this world. Don't get me wrong. And as long as we don't love them above Jesus, I'm okay with. Right? I mean, I I love the invention of the modern television. My wife texted me last night. Hey, when you get home, there, you know, it's just what we do. There's a new Blue Bloods we're going to watch tonight on DVR. Right? I mean, you know. She, I think she just, you know, we, there's a new kid on the block in, new, in Blue Blood, so if you're from the 80s, you understand. That's not funny, that's real. <laughs> My wife's hanging tough every Friday night watching Blue Bloods, you know what I'm saying? So she's excited. We love, I, the things of this world aren't bad, right? Um, does anybody remember ever uh, getting their first cell phone? Yeah, anybody remember this? I'll never forget when I got my first cell phone. I, it was in 1999. I, I was, it was kind of a gift to my parents. I'd finished my bachelor's and I was rolling right into the, the master's program at UF and going to be a school teacher and all this stuff. And, and I got a phone. It was by a company called Bell South. Yeah, they, it's funny. Bell South doesn't exist in the South anymore. They actually have service in Canada. It's kind of weird. <laughs> so Bell South, I got this phone. Teenagers, you're going to have to Google some of this stuff. It, was, uh, it wasn't as big as the Zach Morris phone. Now, I know, does anybody know who Zach Morris is? Come on. Somebody, okay. It's getting a little nervous. Um, but this phone, it was, it was like a brick. And it was awesome because like our phones today, it was co- totally opposite. Um, man, the battery lasted forever. You didn't need like juice packs. And the screen couldn't crack. I mean, you could drop that sucker and it wasn't breaking. And it was cool because I, um, I, I remember I got that phone. I had 300 peak time minutes. Remember, anybody remember peak time minutes? Again, students, you're going to have to Google this. It's like pre-text messaging. Um, but it was all cool, man. I only got 300 peak time minutes, but I got the promotional plan. I got free nights and weekends after 7. Yeah. You, y'all are going to have to figure out. Parents are going to have to talk to you guys about what peak time minutes and free night and weekends are. So I got this phone. I was so pumped. My roommate Brian was jealous because he didn't have a phone, and um, I've always been cooler than him. But here's the deal. I got this phone. It's my prized possession, this phone. I was so excited about it. Mom would call me in the afternoon or a friend of mine. I'd be like, look, i got to go, but I'll talk to you after, after 7, you know, and hang up. <laughs> Love this phone. Time for simpler. A couple years ago, we moved. And I was moving stuff into my kids' rooms. And uh, we have three daughters, and my youngest was four at the time. And I'm moving a box into her bedroom. And it's labeled Toys for Leah's Dolls. My four-year-old, her dolls have their own toys. (laughs) 
I bring it into the room and I set the box down and, and the lid breaks as they always do. And out falls just all kind of old cell phones. We had some old cell phones in there. We had some Sprint phones. Fortunately, we've re- repented as a country from the next tail phones. And as I stood there, my first ever cell phone fell out. My prized possession is now a toy for my daughter's dolls. <laughs> there was a couple of things that were comical, frustrating that the box broke, the lid. And we're setting up a room and I just stopped for a minute. And it was a great reminder to me of this. Man, what I thought I couldn't live without, what I thought was super shiny and, and just a great example that the things of this world will fade away. But when we put our hope in Jesus, knowing our hope is reserved for us in heaven, it will not fade away. First Peter chapter 1, Peter's writing and he's, he's talking to different people and he says this and he says, listen to the adjectives he used to describe what's going to happen when our hope is reserved in heaven and how secure it is. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that, to a living hope. Listen. Here's our, our inheritance, and listen to the adjectives. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When our hope is in the gospel, when our hope is reserved in heaven, we can rest assured and understand the peace that our hope in heaven, our eternal home is undefiled, imperishable, and will not fade away. Where is your hope? Is your hope in the things of God? Would people write, man, I I know this person, and just like Paul said, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus because of the hope that they live their life knowing their hopes reserved in heaven. This isn't our home. One day we'll meet God in glory, and that is our home. That is our eternal home. And the things of this world are going to fade away. What people think of us is not going to matter. What, how many commas we have in our bank account, how, wh- where we are in the corporate ladder structure is going to fade away. But our hope in Jesus, our eternal home, is undefiled, imperishable, and will not fade away. When our hope is in Jesus, we know that we can have an eternal home reserved for us in heaven. But here's the awesome thing. When our hope is in the gospel and our hope's reserved in heaven, our hope should result in us bearing fruit. See, God, it's just like Paul, man. He went back and forth and he said in Philippians 1, he, he desires to, to be with Jesus. He says, that's far better. But he goes through Philippians 1 and he says, but being here is more necessary for your sake. And while I'm here, I'm going to bear fruit and be productive for the kingdom. 
Here's the thing. As believers in Jesus, if our hope's in Jesus and our hope's reserved in heaven, while we are here, we should be bearing fruit for the gospel. I mean, what does that look like? We, it looks like a lot of things. I mean, you know, we, we're, we're all about the kingdom, right? When our hope's in Jesus, we're urgent for the mission of Christ. I mean, what is, it, what is your mission statement? To bring people to the, the point of life, Jesus Christ? I mean, that is our hope. That is how we bear fruit. We build relationships. We make sure that we teach people about Jesus. We, we need a lot of more. We need preachers and we need staff members and all that thing. But what the church's greatest need is for our church members to see their life as a living sacrifice to be on mission for the gospel, bearing fruit for the kingdom where the Lord has placed them. And see, when our hope's in the gospel, we know that our hope is reserved in heaven. And we get excited about bearing fruit for the kingdom. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that God didn't save me, redeem me, and leave me here just to hang out. That I've got a mission and a task while I'm here. My retirement statement, I, I get it, I look at it about every month, and it says I can retire in the year 2045. Feels like a long time, you know. But hey, while I'm here... And even if I retire then, if I'm still living, I pray that I will understand my job even is to even then is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Is your hope in Jesus reserved in heaven? And are you bearing fruit for the kingdom? I wish I could tell you that all my life that I mean I grew up in a church and man I you know, I, I got all the the good stuff. I mean, you know, I, I got all the RA badges and, you know, and, and stars on my Sunday school poster board when I was a kid. And I was always at church, you know. But it was a period of my life where, man, I wish I could tell you that, that all my life my hope was in Jesus. There was a period of my life I, I got real involved in sports, um, football and baseball. I started having a lot of success in those things. And just to be honest with you, my hope in my life was about what my coaches thought of me, about what success I had uh, between the lines of whatever sports field I was on. And I grew up in the central part of the state. And in central Florida in the 90s, uh, as I was, a, I was a quarterback in high school, um, I had the opportunity. Uh, a guy named Steve Spurrier called my house, and I went to the University of Florida, and I was a quarterback for them from 95 to 99. And, and I never started a game, but, you know, I played some, and I was on the team, and had a great, great time in Gainesville. Pastor Tim, I don't just hate Alabama. There are 13 teams in the SEC I equally dislike. I mean, I think there's a, a healthy thing that he doesn't like Florida and I don't like Alabama, right? If we all liked each other, we'd all be the same, you know, whatever. So I'll never forget, though, uh, in 1996, man, I thought that I had achieved it all. And, you know, I wasn't a starter, but we, man, we beat uh, a team a little bit west of Gainesville um, in the Sugar Bowl for the national championship. They're garnet and gold colors. I don't like to say their name. And we won the national championship on January 2nd, 1997. And on January 11th, 1997, there were 70,000 people that came to our stadium just to cheer for a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds to cheer for them that we're number one. Literally, they made trophies for us and rings, T-shirts and hats and plaques and all kind of stuff. And so for this period of my life from like 15 to 19 the hope of my life 
was in, you know, what happened on a football field. And I thought it was all on me. And I, got, and I knew the gospel. It was over here. My youth pastor, Jimmy Hofford, had taught me well. And it was over here. But, man, I struggled with the fact that this world was offering me a lot of things, I thought. And I thought that my life was just going to be all about sports. And, man, that I could achieve it all. And, and I'll never forget, January 11th, we had the National Championship Celebration. Two days later, January 13th, 1997, we're on the practice field. And we're conditioning and we're getting ready because there's no off-season. You know, in big time sports. And we're out on the practice field and it was a cold winter day in Gainesville. For us in, in Florida, I mean, it was really cold. It was 18 degrees. There was dew on the grass. And that the dew, the wet dew was going on my, through my cleats. I was freezing. And I remember the details of this day, like, I mean, super vividly. And I remember at the end of this workout, one of our coaches came and he talked to us and he said something to us that just angered me and infuriated me and honestly convicted me. And he looked at us and remember what I told you, they, they, gave, they gave us rings, they gave us trophies, we were literally the best team that year. And he looked right at us and he said something that has impacted me every day since. He looked right at us. And he said this, the world was giving us a lot, right? He looked at us and he said this, what you did wasn't good enough. What you did, you need to do more. What you did wasn't good enough. I don't hate that guy anymore. <laughs> I've prayed through that. And maybe he was using that as motivational tool, whatever. But I remember walking across that practice field, walking through the gates, sitting on a concrete bench outside a parking garage, right outside the gates of the practice field. And I sat there, angry, mostly at myself. Because I, all my life I, I knew where my hope should be in the gospel, knowing it's reserved in heaven and I should be bearing fruit for the kingdom but I've been living the last several years of my life. Like all of us, can, it can happen. I've been living the last several years of my life caught up with what other people think of me, what type of success I have between the lines of a field. And it can happen to you. We get caught up with what, what our thoughts are, what, how many commas we have in our bank account, where we are on the corporate ladder structure. But when our hope is in the world, it's never going to be good enough. There's always going to be a void in us. Because we were wired for our hope to be in Jesus, knowing it's reserved in heaven. And while we're here, called to bear fruit for the kingdom. I sat on that bench and I'm not telling you I've been perfect every day, but I've been praying and hoping that one day I can look at the Lord and say, my hope was found in you and in you alone. Pastor Tim's going to come and going to close us. And man, I pray for this. That for all of you in this room, that your hope will be found in Jesus. Knowing it's reserved in heaven. And that while you're here, you're bearing fruit for the kingdom.
Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunities we have to sing and to praise you. But I thank you, most importantly, for the opportunities we have every day to live our life placing our hope in you and in you alone. And so I pray for all of us in this room that we would walk out of here placing our hope every day in you, knowing our hope is reserved in heaven, and that we can bear fruit for the kingdom right here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.